All right, today we're going to be continuing in our series, uh, Answers in My Identity. Uh, that's kind of based off the book Search for Significance by Robert McGee. Um, highly recommend that book if you haven't checked it out uh, already. But as we've been doing this, we've been looking at a couple of different ways uh, that we can build up a sense of value or a sense of identity within our life. Uh, a lot of that has to do with how we view what success uh, or failure is. Uh, and whether we think that we're doing a good job according to those things, are we succeeding in life, are we being successful and accomplishing what we want to, uh, and in that we might have an inflated sense of identity and worth, um, or if we perceive that we're failing or messing things up, uh, it can cause us to have a, a down look on our life and, and down the value that God has given to us. Uh, last week we kind of looked at how... Um, it can't, it's not just internal, but it's also how we perceive others look at us as well. Uh, whether they see as a success or as a failure, uh, which can lead into a trap of seeking approval uh, from other people. Now, as we kind of dig a little bit more into the series uh, between this week and next week, we're going to be taking a look at um, a little bit more in depth into some of the examples and kind of how this plays out or how we react to it defensively. Uh, and we try and continue to form our identity or to protect our identity uh, outside of it being anchored in Christ. Uh, and so uh, let's pray and, and then we'll head into that this morning. Uh, Father, as we come into this message here this morning, uh, I just pray your Holy Spirit would be working within us. That God, as we uh, pursue knowing you more and following you more and uh, loving you more, that uh, anything that is a block to that, uh, would just fall away in Jesus' name. Uh, fathers, whether area, Father, where there is areas within our life uh, that are rooted um, in an identity of the world or in the world, uh, pray that those would be exposed, that we would be willing to let those go uh, and allow the healing work of the Holy Spirit to uh, gently remind us and anchor us deeply in your love uh, so that we're not shaken by the perceptions of the world or the perceptions of ourselves. Uh, but rather on who you say that we are and why that matters in all that we do. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So kind of as we touched on, we, we have a tendency uh, to kind of anchor uh, our identity in either success or in failure uh, and, and kind of the value that goes along with those things. And, and if we allow that to kind of slip into our life, uh, one of the things that uh, really kind of like slips in then is as either when we're looking at other people or we're looking at ourselves, uh, if something good happens, we tend to value that other person or we tend to value ourselves. But if something bad happens, we, we either look down on ourselves or we can actually have a tendency um, to look down on others uh, and to, to even reject them. And what happens with this is it almost creates this mindset that those that fail uh, deserve their circumstances. Or they deserve the punishment that they get. And then the next step from there is, is almost this sense of, well, um, I need to treat them accordingly. So if they've made a mistake or if they've failed in some way, then there's almost a, a temptation or a tendency to kind of keep them at a, at a distance or to, to kind of have that new dynamic within that particular relationship. And it, it's a harsh mindset that we'd all like to deny and, and say, like, we don't do this. Like, like, I don't look down on other people when they make mistakes. I don't look down on people when they sin. And, and I don't want to look down on myself if I do those things either. But consciously or unconsciously, sometimes we can tend uh, to point 
uh, accusing fingers uh, at other people. Um, we can do it by, by mocking, ridiculing, or, or even shaming those that have failed. And, and this can take like a whole spectrum of things, right? Like I remember being in high school um, and in the commons during lunch hour, right? And so the school that I went to, we had, I think we had like 1,200 kids at the school. And so at any given lunch, there was probably a couple hundred kids within the lunchroom. And, and what happens if, if somebody trips and falls and like spills their tray? Like, like everybody in the room is like, oh, you know, and everybody's looking at the person and they have the red. Anybody else's school do that? Okay, I see a few hands out there, right? Or maybe in a restaurant that happens, right? And the waitress or the waiter spills something and, and everybody kind of like looks or maybe shouts something out. And, and, and right here, it's just kind of a, a silly example of this, but here's somebody's made a mistake. Their shoelace wasn't tied or whatever it was. And yet the reaction of kind of the group around them is like, look what they just did. And, and in that sense, like, it's a shaming thing. It's kind of a mocking thing. Like, look, I, I think I dropped the tray once. And it felt terrible, you know, to kind of have everybody do that. But, um, you know, it, it could be things that, uh, maybe a nickname that's given, right? And, and it's kind of like the, the nickname where, where somebody's made a mistake and now they have a nickname according to that mistake that kind of follows them for the rest of their life. Uh, or perhaps it's a mistake that they made and it's always getting brought back up in their face. Like, well, you did this in the past, so how can I trust you again? You did this in the past, so how can I trust you again? Uh, kind of thing over and over and over again. And it's a form uh, of punishment for that particular failure. It's, it's not reflecting the grace. It's not reflecting mercy or forgiveness at all. Uh, but it's meant to be bringing up in order to, to shame, to, to bring a sense uh, of condemnation maybe, to, to kind of bring them down. Um, possibly even a sense to build ourselves up because we were the ones that failed. And so we don't feel bad about ourselves. Uh, this punishment doesn't always take uh, an aggressive approach, though. Um, it could just be uh, ignoring or avoiding people that, that have sinned or have fallen or have made a mistake. Like, okay, like here's this person in the church, and I know what they did. And, and so I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm just going to kind of avoid them. We, we touched on an example, um, I think was it last week, where, you know, where a woman wasn't allowed to go to the Bible studies because of a mistake, or not even a mistake, just a situation that happened in the past. And because of that, there was a stigma to it. And because that stigma on the thing that happened, okay, we're, we're just going to ignore. We're going to, to wall off. We're going to, to kind of set aside in that. And that's a form of punishment. It's a form of shaming. Uh, and it's not what Scripture calls us to do uh, in any sense uh, at all. Uh, perhaps then another aspect of this is the taking sides in relationship uh, or kind of judging, you know. Uh, I remember a friend, and, and he'd been in a relationship with this girl, and, and they broke up. And, and it was within a church, and, and I just kind of like asked her, like, how's your day? You know, how are you doing? Because, you know, I know it was rough for both of them. They both came to the same church. Uh, in fact, she had been coming to the church longer than he had. And, and so just me going to her and saying, you know, um, how are you doing? You doing okay? I, I know this has been hard. Like, and he got so upset with me because I was supposed to be on his side. Right? 
because I, I was his friend, and, and so therefore I'm supposed to take sides. And uh, we can do the same thing when we have situations where, again, maybe it's not a sin situation, but it's just a mistake or a couple breaks up or well, it's something that happens. There's a disagreement. And that aspect of taking sides, you know, I'm going to join your side against this other person uh, is an aspect of, of punishment, actually. And instead of saying, well, how can we bring about reconciliation? How can we bring about reflecting the body of Christ uh, in this situation? So there's many different ways uh, that this kind of takes forms and, and plays out within life. Um, and this trap of blaming others, uh, there's usually two major errors that we all make as we do these types of things. Uh, the first one uh, is that we punish people for sin. Right? And, and we also punish for mistakes. And, and we'll get to the sin aspect in a moment. But we, we have this kind of a, a culture that if it's based on success and failure in order to establish value within our life, and then it devolves into punishing people when they make mistakes because that's less value, then we can fall into this aspect within our society that we actually punish people for making mistakes. Uh, this is prevalent within husband and wife situations, uh, parent-child, uh, or employer and employee. And if we take a step back and, and we kind of reason through it, uh, what's a mistake? Like, like a mistake isn't something that was intentional. A mistake, you know, is an accident or it was something that was done out of ignorance or, or whatever it was. And it's done and it was not the right thing to do in that situation. But if we look at it rationally and logically, all it is is an opportunity for growth, right? So you're at a job and you're, you're doing something and you push the wrong button, right? And, and now here's an opportunity to be able to learn and to grow uh, from that situation. But yet it's been turned into uh, such a heavy-weighted almost sense of punishment at times between these things. A, a husband and wife, you know, they, they have something planned. Uh, one of them plans something and, and doesn't tell the other one about it. And the, the mistake was like, okay, I didn't put it into the calendar or whatever it was. And, and then you get into a situation that was like, well, I didn't know about it. And in that moment, you could start pointing fingers and blaming one another and saying, well, like, you know, I had these plans and now my day is ruined because now we're doing your plans that you signed us up for that I didn't know about and blah, 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 blah. And we find like this conflict that's happening versus it was a mistake. So, so how do we learn and how do we move forward and how do we work together within this particular thing? But yet, so many different arguments, so many different conflicts between husbands and wives, parents and kids, uh, and even within job situations are over just the sense of a mistake and this almost knee-jerk reaction that there has to be justice or punishment for it instead of it being an opportunity to grow. But the other aspect of this is the punishing for genuine sin or somebody has sinned against us, or we've seen somebody sin in our lives or in our circles or within the church or whatever it is, uh, there's a, a tendency uh, within our human nature at times, especially if we put value on that failure, and that is now a, uh, we're looking down on that person or sensing that they've done something wrong, uh, that we look to try and um, force conviction on them, um, or we bring punishment to them. 
so in other words, if, if we notice somebody that's sinned within our, our, our life or they've sinned against us, it's almost as though we try to step into God's position, the position of the Holy Spirit, in order to make sure that they know that they've wronged us and we're going to actually do things or establish things within our life in order to make them feel or acknowledge or, or to be punished for what they've done to us um, within that particular sin. But that's not our position at all, right? God is the one who judges. God is the one that actually will pass down uh, judgment. We as, as humans are in no position to punish other people for their sins. We, we desire for people to come to conviction, right? And, and we can approach that in two different ways. We can sit there and, and come to them from the judgmental aspect based on this whole value thing and say, well, you know that you did this is wrong, right? Well, it was this reason and this reason. Well, don't try and make up excuses. You just need to repent that you sinned. Well, but this and no, like I'm tired of excuses like just this. And, and it's almost like you're trying to, what we all desire as Christians is, is for a genuine, heartfelt brokenness over, over sin that we've given, to, you know, we've committed against somebody else before God. To, to be able to say, you know what, that was, I was selfish, this was something I should not have done, I gave into temptation, whatever it was, would you please forgive me about it? And, and I want to walk towards Christ, and I, I don't ever want this to happen again, and I, I want to walk it. Like, that's what we desire. But if we try and force that through, essentially what we're saying is, you don't have value, your value has been lessened. Unless you do these right steps in order to get back in right with God. Does that make sense? Like, like unless you do this, um, you don't have value before God and you don't have value in our relationship. Because I'm going to treat you like you're down until you actually correct this. And, and then we can walk forward. It's a devaluing of, of who they are in Christ uh, versus saying, okay, like the whole log in the eye, rafter in the eye thing, again, with the straw. That acknowledgement of I have things within my own life that I need God to be working on uh, in order to bring healing and repentance and conviction um, and walking forward in sanctification. Like I need that. You need that. Let's do that together. Like God sees us the same. You're not on a different level than me, but rather we both need him and need to uh, walk towards him in this. Uh, but we can fall into that danger of, uh, through our words and actions, bringing that other person down until we feel like they do something right, and then elevating them. Like we're assigning them worth and value, uh, and we can't do that. We can't do that. It's something that God does. Uh, but then what happens uh, is if it is us that fall short or fail expectations, um, we kind of go through the same thing, right? We can, you know, devalue ourselves, feel worse about ourselves. Uh, a lot of times we still try and look for a reason or an excuse uh, or a scapegoat. Um, again, we do that because we feel like we're worthless um, if we actually just sin, right? Like, just think about that for a second. As we go through our life and, and say you're in a situation and you just knee-jerk respond in anger, right? And, and you say some things out of anger that you don't mean to say, 
and you recognize in that like you've sinned in the sense of you're not reflecting Christ, you're not reflecting this fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so you respond like that, right? Now, in the truth of the gospel, what we're called to simply do in that situation is say, all right, we humble ourselves. Lord, would you forgive me? We go to the other person. Hey, I'm sorry that I responded that way. Would you forgive me? And, and then we just move forward from that. Well, like that's the truth of the gospel and the forgiveness through the purchase of, of Christ's blood. Like that we're redeemed to have that freedom of that forgiveness and that reconciliation. Like that's what he died to give to us. And yet, how many times when we respond out of anger in a given situation, do we instead of just saying, that was wrong, it wasn't Christ-like, please forgive me. Instead, we're like, you know, I'm just a little tense already today because it was hard to get the kids ready and out the door and I was running a little bit late. And so then I'm just kind of driving down the road and this person cuts me off. And so I'm already stressed out about that. And then I get to the grocery store and this person brings 20 things into the 15 item line. And then I just blew up. Right? So, so right there, we're almost saying, well, because of this and because of this and because of this, that's why I sinned. And, and all of that is trying to protect our sense of value because we've built it on, I have value if I'm not sinning. And if I sin, I'm worth less before God and others. But we're trying to protect that. When we're looking for those excuses, we're actively, it's a, it's a sign of us actively trying to protect our sense of value. But if our value isn't dependent on I sinned or I didn't sin, then it just comes down to, what do I do? Lord, forgive me in this situation. And then we can walk forward in confidence because we know that we're forgiven. We're not trying to protect our sense of self-worth at all. And so, uh, again, we often look for reasons or excuses or a scapegoat because we connect our sense of value and worth and what God thinks of us. We attach it to how well we think we're doing when it comes to sinning or not sinning in our life which isn't the truth at all. If we can't find somebody else, uh, then we can often turn into this aspect of, of blaming ourselves and doing the same things where we're putting ourselves down or we have um, self-nicknames in a sense, right? Well, like, this is what happens. We make a mistake in our life and, and how often, like, in your mind could you just be, oh, it's so stupid, I, I can't believe, like, I'm just failing again. And, and we would just, like, talk that way to ourselves. And, and that's all aspects of punishment. In other words, we feel like since we've made a mistake or we sinned, we, we feel like our sense of value before God or others has been diminished. And, and in a sense, we're punishing, our, punishing ourselves for it. Like, here's this mistake, and man, I just deserved everything that happened out of this. And, and it can turn into this spiral that we're continually punishing ourselves. Uh, and again, we're not establishing our worth or value on who God says that we are. Other, instead, we're doing it on who we think we are or how good of a job we think that we're doing. Uh, this idea of, of punishment and blame has been a culture uh, that has been established by humanity since Adam, right? 
Again, we talked about it last week. Eve eats of the apple. Adam eats of the apple. God comes and says, well, what did you do? What's Adam's first response? This woman, she gave it to me. And so it's been established within the humanity. And, and because of that, um, it's been going down. Um, and, and we almost fall into this idea of punishment for failure being the norm. In other words, if we've done something wrong, if we've made mistake, we almost expect punishment or the sense of we deserve punishment. Uh, and so when other people uh, will treat us in a way that is not in accordance with the truth of Scripture, we can have a tendency to accept it and, and embrace it and even make it part uh, of our identity. And, and if that happens too often, this can even seep into our understanding and our relationship with God. In other words, if, if we're constantly feeling like if we make a mistake, we deserve punishment or we deserve less because our worth is less, um, we can feel like God's just waiting for us to fail. Or, or even if um, some things that happen in our life that are bad or we consider it to be bad, like we get a flat tire while we're late. Oh, you know, why didn't God protect me from it? Well, you know, I keep messing up in my relationship with God. And so therefore, why do I deserve him to, to protect me from bad things? Um, or maybe even it's even the, the good things that we don't get. And now this kind of goes into um, our own desires and expectations, but we can fall into this aspect of our life. Like if we have this desire of a certain car, or a certain home, or a certain value in our life, or a standard of living, or the, the relationship that we want, or however we expect things to be. If we have a certain expectation of that, and that doesn't happen, um, we can easily slip into this aspect of, well, you know, God doesn't truly love me. God doesn't truly value me. Otherwise, he would give me those things. And, and the reason why he doesn't is because I keep making these mistakes here and I keep making these mistakes there. And if I could just do better, then, then God would be able to do these things for me. But I'm blocking him. I'm blocking him from being able to bless me because of the mistakes that I'm making. And, and all of these things uh, certainly aren't true, uh, but they're constructed on earthly experiences of mistakes, failure, and punishment. In other words, as we live in our lives and we put value in other people, we, we lift them up when they succeed and we tear them down when they fail. And if we allow other people to do that to us, it just creates this establishment that constructs that punishment um, is because of failure and, and that we deserve that type of thing. Or if somebody then hurts us, they deserve for us to punish them. Uh, or to treat them in a way that makes sure that they know uh, that they've hurt us. But uh, the truth of the Bible tells us uh, a different story in this. Um, again, mistakes and, and even sin are opportunities for repentance, reconciliation, and growth. Romans 8.28 says that uh, we know that all things work together for the good uh, of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we only need to look at scripture and different examples through this where, where Moses, uh, while he was in Egypt, was a murderer. And then he fled from that. And then God 
restored him and used him then to deliver Israel out of slavery. We look at King David, uh, who committed adultery and then killed the husband of the wife that he committed adultery with. And then through his repentance, God forgave him and and turned him into a great king, and, and we enjoy all of the Psalms that he had written. Peter denied Jesus three times. Uh, He was forgiven in that and made to be one of the primary church leaders as the church was established. And so we can look at example after example after example within Scripture where where people have made mistakes and even committed grievous sins, have repented, and their value was never changed in God's eyes. And he continued to work in their life to to cherish them and use them in mighty and and amazing ways. Like, how is this possible? We look at these mistakes, and and yet God does something phenomenal with them. Um, How does this work? God's answer uh, to this uh, we use as a theological term uh, called propitiation. Uh, And in other words, what propitiation is, uh, is that... Uh, wrath is, is satisfied, that justice is accomplished. In other words, when, when there is sin, there should be punishment for that sin. Uh, but what propitiation is, is that God has done something in order to satisfy that. It's not just this empty forgiveness where like, oh, well, the slate's just wiped clean. We're going to pretend like that has never happened. Uh, because sin deserves uh, the righteous wrath of God. Now, this is one of those topics that we kind of struggle with, right? Because, like, we're born into sin. We have sin within our lives. And, and as we're born as sinners, um, what chance do we then have to not sin, right? And so then it's kind of hard to wrestle through this idea of, of like, a loving God that then punishes sin. And, and is that really justice? Uh, until you kind of look at sin uh, instead as rebellion. And so you have Adam and Eve within the Garden of Eden. Uh, They're given one command. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge. Right? That's the only thing that they're supposed to do. And God says if you eat of that tree, you you will know good and bad, but you surely will die. And so then this whole temptation comes uh, with Satan and Adam and Eve. And and they look at it. They see that the fruit is good to eat. But but more than that, I believe that they desired the ability to determine for themselves what is right and what is wrong. Like if we eat of this, this is the superpower that we get. We get to know what's right and we get to know what's wrong. And, And so in other words, what they were doing was rebelling against the order that God had created and put into place. And saying, we want to have control ourselves over what is right and what is wrong. And in that, mankind, ever since that day, has been doing the same thing. And we even rationalize that within ourselves as it comes to different temptations and things in our life that that we say, well, this seems right to me and this seems wrong to me. And we create these whole constructs of right or wrong outside of what Scripture says. All of that is in rebellion to the way that God has created things to be. And so if we see sin in our life as rebellion against God's created order, it's easier than to see that a king is going to punish those who are in rebellion. And since all mankind was in that situation, uh, God in his grace and mercy uh, worked out this 
avenue towards propitiation in Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus, God himself, came down to this earth in order to live a righteous and perfect life without sin, uh, in order to die on the cross in our place. He was the one that was able uh, to become um, this sacrifice, this propitiation. Uh, we see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus took our place. And the punishment that we deserved as rebels against the holy God, Jesus took that punishment in our stead satisfying God's wrath against sin in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what's incredible in this is that because we were still rebels, we hadn't done anything to deserve that aspect of forgiveness or, or the provision of a path to forgiveness. But First John 4 puts it this way. God's love was revealed amongst us in this way. That God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, it wasn't like we were sitting there and saying, Oh God, we've done this against you. Would you forgive us? Would you give us a path in order to restore our eternal relationship with you? But he did it in order to call us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He did it to create the path. And as he created the path, he then calls us to join him on that path. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that even while we were still dead in our trespasses, God did this for us. Even though we were still rebels, God did this for us because we could not do it within our own abilities. We could never earn forgiveness uh, or atone for these things. We could never get out of punishment, um, but rather, Jesus took that for us. So then what does this tell us? That valuing of identity and worth cannot be built on success or failure. Because if we're in Christ, our identity is not based on what we can do or how good we are at doing it, and neither can be based on how much we fail or how much sin is in our life. It's based on what was paid for it. Jesus died. His blood poured out into dusty Jerusalem in order to pay for our sins, to take our place, to redeem us, to pay the ransom for us. That ransom is now our value. That's what it says. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because the righteousness of God took our place and was poured out for us, that then establishes our identity as the very righteousness of God. And so how can it be elevated by how good we do at our jobs? Or how good we are at being a husband? That can't elevate what Jesus Christ established at the cross. But neither can our mistakes, neither can our sins devalue us in the eyes of God. Because he has paid for those. He has established a way for that reconciliation. 
and that forgiveness. And so therefore, if my identity cannot shift or change based on my success or my failures, but it's firmly established in Jesus, that means your identity cannot change or be shifted. And so then what right do I have to put you down for mistakes that you make or sins that you commit? Now, again, we don't want to ignore sins. We desire people to come to a place of of conviction and growth. Um, But I cannot devalue you for that. I can only acknowledge who you are in Jesus Christ. So when we respond to somebody, um, even if it's us, that fails or makes a mistake, uh, we need to respond by affirming the truth of reality. That that person is deeply loved, completely forgiven, Accepted by God and complete in Jesus Christ. But by believing in these values, we then respond to them as they're in their brokenness and in their sin. Treating them as a brother or sister in Christ that needs help and care. And somebody walking alongside them as they work through cleaning up whatever the mess is that they are in. That we do it together as we walk towards Jesus Christ. Uh, By believing these things, uh, we'll be able to to love people just as God loves us. uh, In 1 John 4, 11. To forgive them as God has forgiven us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Accepting the person just as God has accepted us. In Romans chapter 15, verse 7. In fact, it goes so far in some parables, Jesus says that if we're not willing to forgive our brothers and sisters, uh, then we ourselves are not forgiven either. Because we've been forgiven so much, we just need to look to our own lives and what God has done and, and forgiven us for and helped us through, that that should be the source uh, of compassion that we have for others in order to walk with them through these things. But what if this person uh, is not um, a Christian? They're not a redeemed brother or sister in Jesus Christ. Then at the same thing as we acknowledge that they are where we once were. We weren't always saved. We weren't always a son or daughter of of Christ. At one point in our lives, uh, we were blind to our sin. We were blind to our need for Jesus Christ. We were blind to our need for repentance. And we were just responding in our life and acting out in whatever way that we thought was right at the time or what we thought was in our best interest at the time. That they're uh, blind in that sense and that they need the same grace and mercy that we did while we were there ourselves. And so again, it gives us a sense of of compassion if somebody hurts us or sins against us or makes a mistake in their life that that we do not put them down, that we do not try to devalue them or treat them uh, in in a worse way because of those things. But rather acknowledging who they are in Christ. If they're a son or daughter, our brother and sister, we come alongside and say, all right, let's walk towards Jesus together. And we do that in love and grace and mercy. Seeing them as deeply loved, completely forgiven, accepted by God, and complete in Jesus Christ. If it's somebody who's not a Christian, we see them as someone who's blind and lost. The very reason that Jesus came to the cross, and that they need him. And if we put them down, if we devalue them or treat them worse, what's the testimony that we're actually showing them in that situation? Versus 
responding as Christ would respond and looking to bring them to a place where they see what we have seen in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying in these situations that it means uh, that we have to fully trust people that have sinned against us or, or hurt or damaged or have done abuse. I'm not saying that. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We are called to forgive. We are called to, to set aside our desire or right for vengeance or punishment for the wrong that people have done to us. We're called to set that down aside and to trust God with those things um, between us, right? Not necessarily within society if somebody commits a crime or, or whatever that is, um, but our, our own personal sense of vengeance must be let go um, and, and turned over to God. We don't want to allow unsafe access into our lives if there's been things that have happened that creates an unsafe situation. However, we are not to blame them. And we are not to fight them. Ephesians chapter 6 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in the heavens. The reason that bad things happen, that people commit sins, uh, is because of blindness and, and a wrong idea of who they are in Christ. All of those things are an opportunity for God to work within their lives, to bring about forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration, and, and growing, growing opportunities. If we try to blame, if we try to fight, um, against them personally, it's not truly acknowledging where they are before God. Because again, if they're a brother and sister, they are deeply loved, completely forgiven, accepted by God, complete in Jesus, just as you are. If they're not acting like it, it's because they're struggling with their sense of identity and who they are in Jesus Christ. And the answer to that is not to fight against them, but to pray and do what God is calling us to do to, to help bring them along that or bring others around them to help grow in their relationship and understanding of who they are so that these issues are corrected um, in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. If they're not Christians, uh, again, how can we blame them when they're blind? They've been blinded by Satan and, and they need forgiveness and grace and mercy that God is willing to provide if they just turn to him and uh, deny their own identity, deny their own desires, and, and humbly submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I, I, that's what we're called to desire. Um, that's why we're called to love our enemies and what Christ is saying. Not to, to bring them down or to devalue them or lift them up, and if we can anchor ourselves in this identity of we're deeply loved, completely forgiven, accepted by God, complete in Jesus, um, that is what's going to give us a, a bedrock where our identity is anchored in eternity. And we don't need to look to blame others, to find scapegoats. Um, we're just where we are in Jesus. And we're okay with that. Because he died at the cross for us. Uh, let's pray.
Uh, Father, we come before you, and uh, Lord, we thank you for the truth within Scripture um, that anchors our identity firmly in you. That you love us, that you've forgiven us, and that you accept us. That our mistakes or sins do not change our standing before you. Because our standing before you is established in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And Lord, I pray that as we come to that realization for ourselves, we then recognize that every other single person on this planet is in that same situation. That they're loved by you. If it's our brother and sister, that they are completely forgiven and completely accepted. If it's someone who does not know you, that is still in the world, is not redeemed, then we recognize them as being blind and dead in their trespasses and sins as we ourselves once were. And that you call to them as you call to us. That the grace that you have for us is also for them if they receive it. So we pray that their eyes would be opened uh, and that you would guide us in our interactions with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.